0: a truth over our nation and over one another. How did the Pledge of Allegiance come to being? The Pledge of Allegiance has been used in the United States for over 100 years, yet this 31-word oath recited today differs significantly from when it was first originated. The idea of a verbal vow to the American flag first gained uh, traction in 1885 when a Civil War veteran named Colonel George Blash devised a version which read, quote, We give our heads and our hearts to God and our country, one country, one language, one flag. Several schools adopted this pledge, and over the years, it's it's taking on a whole new meaning and In 1923 and 24, the National Flag Conference changed the wording to read, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And in 1942, as World War II had broke out, Congress adopted the pledge and decreed that it should be recited, holding the right hand over our hearts. For those who are servicemen and women, they stand at attention and salute when the pledge is read, out of respect. A final revision to the National Oath came in 1954, during the Cold War, when communism was big. And and, and in response to lobbying of many religious groups and fraternal organizations, behind the backing of President at that time, Dwight, uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, Congress passed the new bill and added the words, "under." God under God Now despite occasional legal challenges that we've seen from various liberal groups that wording has remained to this day According to the pledge of allegiance with our right hand over our hearts we declare that our pledge that we are one nation one nation one nation Under God, under His sovereign rule, under His sovereign ways, under His righteous ways, how many know you cannot have morality without God? How many know that unity only comes by the Holy Spirit? Only God can unite hearts. When there's factions and divisions, it's because the opinion of man has risen. And you know what opinions are. They're like noses. Everybody's got one. (laughs) We're one nation. Under God's sovereign, mighty rule. And it comes with liberty and justice for all. As a nation, we pledge this. And if you would ask any patriot that you would see walking down our streets in our nation If you would say to them, do you believe in the pledge? They would empathetically say, oh yes, I believe in the pledge. They would stand tall, they would stand proud as they pledge their allegiance to the flag and what it represents in this nation. However, the sad reality is we as a nation are anything but indivisible. Hmm, indivisible, what does that word mean, indivisible? It means being inseparable, being undividable, being united. One nation under God, indivisible. It can't be separated. It can't be divided. We're united. It can't be segmented. Because when you take away that unity, you start to teeter on losing judgment and justice for all. You know, we we talk about, well, you know, really our founding fathers were all born-again Christians, and they all had a fervency for God, and they loved God. But the reality is, they weren't all born-again spirit-filled Christians. Let me read an article to you. I got this off the internet on godquestions.org. And the title of this article is Were the Founding Fathers of the United States Christian? Now, before you tune me out, just listen to this. Because I know what we all want to believe, right? And I got a point to this, so say, I will listen to you, Pastor. I will listen to you, Pastor. Okay, thank you. With words like God, Lord, and Creator found in the Declaration of Independence, it is easy to assume that the founders of the United States were Christians. John Adams, the nation's second president, said, quote, the Christian religion is above all the religions that ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times, the religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humanity. Benjamin Franklin, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, wrote to the Yale president at that time, Ezra uh, Stiles. He said this, quote, I think the system of morals and Jesus' religion, as he left them to us, the best, the best the world has ever saw or is likely to see, unquote. Such statements imply that Christianity was influenced in the founders' lives. The reality is that the founding fathers were a diverse group of individuals. They were diverse. Just like today, we're diverse. We're not all the same. But Listen. Uh, There is varied evidence as to the religious affiliation of several of the founders. George Washington is often cited as an Episcopalian. His public addresses contain many statements that support the claim that Washington was, in fact, a committed Christian. There is also evidence that Washington was also nominal in his faith. Thomas Jefferson made statements implying he was a Christian, but his brand of Christianity was dubious at best. Jefferson rejected the supernatural accounts of the Bible, the Trinity, and the incarnation of Christ. James Madison was Anglican, but he also argued to be a deist. And what was a deist? In a nutshell, a deist was this. They called themselves Christians, and they adhered to Christian traditions and holidays, right? But they had, they had various views on things of the Bible, and they cut things out of the Bible. Sounds familiar to some Christians that call themselves Christians today in our world, right? But notice, they still honored Christian values, okay? There is little doubt, there is little doubt that the principles upon which the United States was founded are indeed found in the Bible, amen, which are equity, liberty, and justice. They're all biblical principles. The faith of the founders, on the other hand, will continue to be debated. That will be a debate that will go on until Jesus comes back, I'm sure. Did the founders respect God and the Christian religion? Absolutely, they did. Were they influenced by the Bible? Yes, surely they were. Were they all born again believers in Jesus? Probably not. Even in the reading, um, What the founders themselves stated and wrote for the public, none of us will ever truly know their hearts. And that's key. Listen to me, church. You can never judge someone else's heart. That's left to the Lord. You don't know where someone is. Now, as Christians, we are to examine the fruit that comes out of one another, right? But only God really knows that person's heart and where they're at. The Apostle Paul wrote, The Lord knows those who are his, 2 Timothy 2.19. While it's interesting to research the religious religious convictions of the founders, only God truly knows the ones that put their faith in him. Amen. So, they were a diverse group of people, but yet they adhered to Christian values. In many of their universities, they'd have to memorize the Bible. They'd have to actually uh, write verbatim, books of the New Testament in order to, you know, get through school. So Christianity, yes, this is a Christian nation. It was founded on Christian principles. All of our historical documents state that, amen. But they didn't all have the same Christian worldview. But yet they got along. Amazing. Now, to some extent, I can, ex- I can accept the bickering, the grandstanding, the fierce opposition and the rudeness expressed by children of darkness who have their eyes blinded to the truth of God's love and grace. After all, they don't know better. They're not born again. They don't have God's truth inside of them yet. Amen? However, what I have difficulty reconciling in my heart is when the same behavior is unabashedly displayed by some, not all, but some children of light born again with God's spirit of love within them, who by this very divine virtue should know better. I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody. I'm just stating what I'm observing now. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You and I have been called to liberty. In Christ, we've been called to be set free. Amen. He says, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, what? Serve one another. He says, you've been called to liberty. Christ has set us free. Amen. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Glory to God. Aren't you glad you're free? You even said this morning you're free when I asked you. Hallelujah. Mm Hallelujah. But Paul says, don't use that liberty now. That we have in Christ Jesus for an opportunity for the flesh. We as Christians should be different. Right. We should be acting different. We should be perceiving things differently. Amen. Right. Listen carefully. I am not saying we should remain silent, hide in a corner of our churches cowering in fear but we are to be a people of cause yes. Amen. i have told you this time and time and time again the moral fabric of this nation rests on us yes. right. it rests on us if the church remains silent we have no one to blame but ourselves right. for the moral condition that we see in our nation God's going to hold us accountable. As I told you last week, we are called to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. A light that shines. Let your light shine so brightly brightly that people may see the good works that we're doing and bring glory to God. Instead, some of the world have a great reproach against us. Okay, obviously, maybe they don't like the fact that maybe they feel a little convicted of their sin and their darkness and they want to keep it covered. Amen. Amen. But realistically, honestly, you guys, does the world maybe have cause because of some of the behavior they've seen in us? To say that we're hypocrites. Or that we, you know, why come, why go to the church? They can't get along. They're bickering, they're fighting, they're not serving, there's no love in the church. What makes the church any different than what I'm doing out here in the world? But yet we've been set free, you see, and we're not to use that liberty now for a vice, to whenever our flesh wants to just to lash out. But we are to come together like never before, Amen. Amen. No, if there's any hope for our nation, it begins with us. Look at your neighbor; it says it begins with me. That wasn't convicting. Say it begins with me. I think of the story of David and Goliath. We know the story, don't we? The Philistines were coming against the children of Israel. We find it, this story, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. For, for, for 40 days, this big giant called Goliath was standing on one side of this, of this valley, and he was saying, Who's going to fight me? And all the the children of Israel, all the army of Israel, they were cowering. It's like, who who wants to fight that guy? Who who wants to do it? We'll draw straws to see who has to do it, right? And so they cowered every time this uncircumcised Philistine would shout out threats. But there was one, a little shepherd boy, 17-year-old, redhead, freckled face, guy by the name of David. And so he had to bring bring food to his brothers that were serving in the army. So Jesse said, go ahead, go, David. Bring this food to your brothers. So as he's bringing the food to his brothers, he's getting close and all of a sudden he hears this bad breath, ugly looking dude shouting these threats again and he's going, who is this guy? Right? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should even try to defile the army of the living God? And we as Christian church in America, we should stand up when we see injustice and we should say, who in the world do they think they are that they're defying the almighty God, the God of righteousness and justice for all? David Says to his older brother, come on. Somebody's got to do something. This can't keep going on. And his brother says, oh, you're just being insolent. You're just being prideful. You you don't even understand. You don't understand. You don't understand the situation that we've been in. You don't understand it one single bit. You just came here today to bring this food. But if you had not listened to that day in and day out for 40 days, you wouldn't be singing this story right now. And David looks at his brother square in the eye and he says, is there not a cause? We must be people of cause. Yes. We just cannot stand by and be silent. But we also must be a people that do it. Speak the truth in love. There is no doubt that given the events of these past three years, our heads are spinning with a series of unrelenting character-building things that we've had to go through. We've been through the fire and back many times just in three years, haven't we? I named them all last week. I'm not going to name them now because I want you to get home so you can make your 4th of July meal, whatever you're doing. I don't know. However, listen to me, church. Listen to me carefully. We need to stop and catch our breath and ask the Holy Spirit to change our perspective to see through his lens, to see the bigger picture behind all of this. I never realized it until you mentioned it, Brittany. I knew it was 50 years since we had Roe v. Wade, but I never realized it. I never correlated the Jubilee thing with that. That's awesome. And I know all my spirit, as I said last week, and I'm not gonna back down. God has elevated the church up on a pedestal right now. Cuz we are the only answer. In Christ we are the only not in our de, not in our denominational doctrine, not in our own little uh, religious beliefs. No, come on, that's done more damage than anything to bring separation. But in our love and our unity in Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on. What are we going to do with this opportunity? I remember I gave my heart to Jesus in 1881. 1881. Oh, I'm really old. Don't I look nice for being so old? 1981. I've been doing that all day. We were talking about the song earlier, and I kept, like, the chorus was mixed up. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. 1981. <laughs> I know from experience, so listen, all right? Um, (laughs) remember the abortion issue was it was still really red hot I remember back then in the 80s because it was just 73 when it was passed right and remember there was and I'm not bashing anybody here okay we learn as we grow in in Lord and stuff but remember there was a ministry called Operation Rescue and they would actually lay down in front of these abortion clinics Mm -hmm. not to let women pass through and go in and have abortions And they would pick it, and they would do all this other stuff. And then the founder of the group got charged with racketeering. It started out good. It started out wholesome. When you're a person of cause, you're driven to do something. But don't let your emotions get ahead of you, where all of a sudden you get out of Christ and you start doing it on your own. Because then you're going to get yourself into trouble. And then it's a black eye to the church. And so that I remember that's what happened. I, I, don't, I don't want history to repeat itself. We have this golden opportunity to bring in this harvest of souls like we've never seen before. We, we can't miss this. We've been working too hard at this thing. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to know how I keep on looking so young, just come and see me afterwards. I'll give you my secret. Uh, Okay, here we go. Starting in verse 12, Peter says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as to some strange thing that is happening to you. And this is everything that we've been going through through these last few years. It's been one trial after another. Amen. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, uh, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of your suffering as a murderer, a thief, an, an evildoer, or as a busybody, in other people's matters. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, this is for you and me now, listen, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where is the ungodly and the sinner where where do they appear? Therefore, Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. This is key. Let you and I, who suffer according to the will of God, let us commit our souls, our minds, our wills, our emotion to the Lord, to him, in doing good as to a faithful creator. Amen. Let judgment begin. It begins in the house of God. What is judgment? Judgment is a decision or an opinion given after careful consideration. What is justice then? Justice is the quality of being just, righteous, equitable. Moral justice or righteousness. Amen. As believers in Christ Jesus, as children of God, justice is first and foremost a relational thing. We cannot walk in justice, in the full righteousness of the Lord, unless we have that tight relationship with him. We must stay hid in Christ. We must stay hid in him. We must allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and to change us. Amen. And can I tell you something right now? God has been shaking every one of us. There are two choruses that we're singing right now which are now songs, and that's why we sing them a lot. I tell Lily, I go, come on, pick these two songs. We need to sing them over and over again because they are now words. That's what the Holy Spirit's right now, doing right now. The one is by the Binions. Uh, uh, Lord, um, how does that one go? go Lord, tear down the walls. I built up every wall. I built up every wall. I built up, you know? Because you deserve every piece of my heart, every piece of my heart, every piece of my heart. Lord, just tear down every wall. We've all put up walls. We've all made judgments, and those judgments were not in Christ. They were judgments in our soul because we were so hurt and so wounded, and people didn't understand our view. And so we put up walls saying, I'm never going to get hurt again. I'm never going to get wounded again. So we put up these walls, and all of a sudden, we're not indivisible anymore. We're not not united anymore. There's a separation that we have between one another, not only in the church, but those outside the church. We don't even want to relate to those outside the church. That's good, Pastor. And the other chorus is Lord, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to do. And I love, I love the bridge. Shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. Your ways are better, your ways are better. Let's get rid of the tradition. Yes. Let's kick out the religion. Amen. I talked to uh, uh, Bishop Swilly th- this week. I was meeting with that pastor. We were going to pray over his land, and all of a sudden he calls me, and I go, oh, my. Well, i got to take the call when my spiritual daddy calls me, so I'm talking to him. And I said to the pastor, I'm sorry. i got to take this call. He's, so he went back in his car, and, and we were talking. And I said, Bishop... I just want you to know, when you came last September and you blew your trumpet, my life has not been the same. In fact, my life at times is more hellish than it was better before you came. (laughs) And he starts laughing. "Uh." (laughs) And he goes, because we had a Zoom call um, the week before with all of the the other churches that he's helping out. And (laughs) And he goes, the Lord's reinventing all of us right now. And I said, geez, there's times I don't even know who Peter Barbie is, I I, I have no idea. I wake up in the morning, who am I, where am I, what what day is it, I don't know. Because everything has just been shattered. See, there's comfort in knowing, knowing something. There's comfort in familiarity, but as we've been saying the first of the year, everything's changed, it's a new season, it's a new time. It is new, say new. And God's not gonna put new wine into old wineskins because the old wineskins, the old attitudes, the old behaviors, the old walls of tradition and, and religion, they can't contain this new thing that God's doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bishop Swilly said, Pete, I gotta tell you this thing. I, God, this pastor's waiting. I gotta tell you this. You just gotta hear this. I said, okay. So he said, last weekend he was ministering at a church and th- this guy was up there preaching. All of a sudden, he had a seizure. Everybody's freaking out. Bishop goes out there, and he speaks life into him. He comes back. But he goes, what do you want to do? You want me to preach your message for you? you want to finish? The pastor said, I want to finish. He said, okay. So they started it again. The pastor starts preaching again. This time, this preacher goes into a grand mal seizure, which is the granddaddy of all of them, and he went unconscious, and he stopped breathing. People are screaming, call 911, call 911. Bishop runs up there and he says, I think his name was Mike. He goes, Mike, you get back into your body right now in Jesus' name. His eyes opened up, he felt great, and he finished preaching his message. But tradition and religion would all freak out by what it's seeing. <laughs> Mike wouldn't be alive today. Pastor Mike wouldn't be alive today. If tradition and religion would have just kept them in that mold, you see. Hmm. Justice is a relational thing. It begins in the house of God. Our ultimate example of justice is found in the life and person of Jesus Christ. He healed the sick. He defended the weak. He ultimately paid the price for you and me because of our sins. Amen. He took all the oppression. He took all the pain. He took all the garbage out to give us life and that life in abundance. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim... The acceptable year of the Lord. And when he says the acceptable year of the Lord, Brittany, that's the year of Jubilee, you understand. So as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, every day that we live, we're living in Jubilee. Which means anything that you lost in the season, the 49 years before, that's given back to you. And every debt that you ever accumulated is paid in full. Jubilee. If we want to see a transformed nation, it begins with a transformed church. If we want to see a transformed church, it begins with a transformed Christian. God is transforming us individually, and now he's starting it in the body of Christ, especially in Rochester. I'm seeing it before my eyes. I'm seeing it. I've longed for this forever. And I'm starting to see it. I can't believe it. I can believe it. But I mean, in the flesh, I can. not It's crazy what God's doing. It's absolutely crazy. Normally, when we would do a praise and worship night, we'd have separate bands. Assembly of God, we'd get up and they would do their thing. And then, and then Christ's community would get up and do their thing. And I remember the year that we were a part of that, we got up as Rochester Faith Tabernacle, and we did our thing, too. Yeah. And everybody looked at us like we were crazy because we rocked the house. Those seasons are done. They're over. It's time for the church to come together. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to come together. Because just like in a church, none of us individually have everything. We need one another. I need, Jerry, what you have. I need what you have, Kathy. By the way, the inside of the windows need to be washed. Now we just had the outside done. Okay. We need one another. Don't you appreciate Brittany? She's a preaching machine. Every time she gets up here to preach, it's just like, whoa. And as a pastor, I'm not threatened by that. It's like, go take it. Go for it. One of these Sundays, I might just say, just keep on going. Okay, you guys are hurting my feelings now. No. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy what God's doing. And so we're coming together like never before. And we're going to start seeing change happen. Amen. See, if I was the devil, this is what I would do. <laughs> all power and all authority has been stripped from him anyway. Jesus Christ has gained it all and he's given it to us. We don't even know the power that we have That's in right. Christ sometimes. I th- sometimes I just think we don't. So what the devil does is, oh, well, I, I will just make him Feel like they're not worthy and they can't they can't be like Christ. And I, I just will just blind them, not believing who they are in Jesus. And, and I'll get them to just stay in that state because then they'll start bickering with one another and arguing over one another. Satan has no authority. That's right. He has no power. Right. We have the authority, we have the power in Jesus' name, but we gotta get past ourselves. And we need to come together. We need to link up together on that radio interview with KFSI. Paul Logan goes, so why are you all doing this? And I said, because it's time. And I said, in the gospel, it talks about the story how Peter and the fishermen, they went out and they fished all night and they caught nothing. They come back in and Jesus is running on land and he needs Peter's boat so he can preach. He gets into Peter's boat. He preaches afterwards. He tells Peter, get back out there now with your net and go out and catch some fish. Peter's looking at Jesus like he's crazy. Jesus, you don't know anything about fishing. It's way past the time when the fish are biting out there. Are you kidding me, Jesus? You stay with preaching, I'll stay with fishing. Thank you. He goes out there anyway because he's intrigued by what he just heard Jesus speak. He never heard somebody speak with such authority and power before. He didn't hear the religion and the tradition that normally comes from our pulpits in America. So he gets into the boat. And then Jesus says, put the, the net over the side. Peter says, well, we didn't catch anything all night, but nevertheless, at your word, Jesus, I guess we'll just try this. And I said, the net started to break. And the boat started to sink under the weight of all the fish or the catch. I said, Paul, that's what's happening right now. It's harvest time. And the net represents the church of Jesus Christ in this city. And every one of us is a loop in that net. Mm -hmm. And as long as we're linked together, we're going to be able to catch the massive harvest. Mm -hmm. And that's where it is. It's that simple. Oh, there's so much more I could share the only thing, that, sectarianism, the walls of envy, strife, and division, they need to go. And the love of God needs to take center stage in us right now. Because 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, Paul says, for where there is envy, strife, and division, where there's envy, oh, I am envious of them because they got a bigger church, and they even got a gym on their church now. Who cares? Anybody want to play basketball or do something in the gym? I'll call the pastor. I'll say, hey, I got somebody here at this church that wants to go play basketball. Could you open up your your church gym so he can play basketball? Who cares? Where there's envy, where there's strife, there's going to be division. And did not Jesus say in John chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By all of this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm going to end this with this illustration. Because the Lord gave this to me yesterday in prayer. But when I grew up, grew, grew up at home, I always had to do the jobs nobody else wanted to do. We had dogs. Yeah, I had to pick up the dog poop. I had to do all that junk. That was just expected. Well, Dad wanted to have our kitchen cupboards. And we lived in an old big home. And this kitchen was massive. And he wanted all the cabinets and the cupboards stripped down cuz back then people would paint on the woodwork. And we're going back to that again, but back I mean yeah. there was like 3 or 4 layers of paint on these cabinets. Dad said it was summertime. He goes, I got a project for you. You're going to strip every one of those cabinets and cupboards and you're going to get them ready to be stained. I said, OK. I didn't know what it <laughs> He goes to the hardware store, and he comes back with this can of stripper. He also had in that bag rubber gloves, safety glasses, and a mask. And I'm going, what in the world is this all for? And he said, read the can. <laughs> it, I don't know, something with the skull and the, <laughs> I don't know. But it said, this is very toxic. Do not breathe the fumes. Do not let it get in your eyes. And whatever you do, do not let it get on your skin because it'll open a hole in your skin. I'm going, great. So, Dad, I get to do this. This is wonderful. So I take and I put the stripper on the, on the outside of the cabinets, and I take a putty knife then, and I start scraping it, right? Being careful not to dig into the wood. And then after that, I had to sand it. And then he had the fun job of getting to stain it. But anyway, I did my part. But the Lord reminded me about that. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now in all of us. He's removing the veneer of the old to get ready for the veneer of the new. And he's using a stripping agent to uproot the old junk that has kept you so tormented, has kept you so in poverty, has kept you so not walking in signs, wonders, and miracles. He's pushing it out. And so if it's been a little stinky, that's why. I say all that to say this. During this stripping season, which is coming to an end, but now it's happening in the church more. We're going to start seeing it happen in the church. There are some churches. I was talking to Sister Eileen. She's head of the prayer thing for for the Franklin Graham meeting. There are some churches that called her irate and said, you take us off the prayer list. We do not want to be involved in that crusade whatsoever. And there's reasons why. Stupid reasons, petty reasons. Jesus says, as much as is possible for every one of us, live peaceably with your brothers. As much as you can endure, live in peace with your brothers and sisters. We're not always going to agree. Our founding fathers were not all born again Christians. They had various views, but yet they agreed that Christianity was the best thing and this is how this nation was going to be founded. To take in this harvest of souls, we're going to have to come together. So during the process, be careful what you touch, be careful what you smell. And be careful what you see. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in everything. Because we are to be one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands with me. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your amazing love that you poured upon our hearts when you wooed us to come into this wonderful relationship with you through your son, Jesus. There's none of us in this place that's perfect, no, not one. And we are so grateful, Lord, that you are doing such a thorough cleansing in each and every one of our hearts right now. Forgive us, Lord, forever <laughs> getting to the place where we get so frustrated that we, we hold back because we don't like the smell or we don't like what we're seeing or we can't seem to touch the thing that we once were able to touch. We trust in you, Lord, with all of our hearts. We don't lean onto our own understanding. In everything, we acknowledge you. In everything right now, everything, we acknowledge you. And you direct our steps. I bless each and everyone in this house today. I bless everyone in this church. I bless everyone who's watching by way of internet today. Father, I thank you that your church is rising up. We truly are a city that's set on a hill. We are your shining light not only as a church in this nation, but as a nation you called this nation to be a shining beacon of your love to the whole world. Yes. And so I thank you and I praise you, God, for just breaking down every wall, removing all the religion, all the tradition, and allowing you to pour into us your new, fresh wine for the season that's before us. I thank you and I praise you for this, Lord. You're so amazing. In Jesus' name, amen.